Direct. From Guano Productions headquarters in the Los Angeles Underground, it's time for your new favorite podcast, The Superiority Complex. It's like honey in your ear holes. Welcome back to Superiority Complex, everybody. Your new favorite podcast. I'm a little loopy today. Didn't get a lot of sleep. Slept on an air mattress last night. My wife came home sick from work. Can't afford to get sick right now. Everybody in the house is sick. Slept on an air mattress last night. Terrible sleep, but I did have some weird dreams. Had a dream about my brother. Had a dream about my brother. Uh, went to visit him, my, my late brother. We were hanging out, and then uh, I was trying to have a serious conversation with him, and he kept trying to put me in a headlock. So uh, that's uh, that was my dream. Got like, to, good to see you was again. That, was, that like, was that like real life? Uh, no, he wasn't really. that. My other brother would try to put me in a headlock, but it was good to see my brother again. Sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes our, our, those that we love and have, have passed on will visit us in our dreams. Sometimes I see my my dad will come up or my grandpa. It's kind of nice. It's always very pleasant. Yeah. I always wake up feeling kind of happy to see him. So that's yeah. that was positive. But I but I only got about three four hours of sleep. Uh, initially, woke up way too early. Uh, there's too much light in this room. It turns out I'm in the game room. And then uh, how did I go back to sleep, John? I I I let the 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 voice of Miss Gabby Moreno carry me off. To Dreamland, <laughs> carry me off to Dreamland. John and I have been yeah. obsessed with Gabby Moreno for about the last two weeks. If you don't know, yeah. if you don't know who she is, check her out. She's on. Uh, 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 she's all over. She's all over the place. She's she's recorded with everyone: Jackson Brown, Van Dyke Parks. But she has a beautiful voice. Um, and uh, she's from Guatemala. Sings English and Spanish. Um, does uh, she's a singer songwriter? Does her own a lot of her own writing. Has some just a beautiful voice, and uh, so I, I'm going to recommend Blues de Mar. Blues de Mar means uh, uh, blues of the sea or blue ocean blues. Uh, and look for the version with the there's one she did with the German Philharmonic. Uh, look for a song she does called uh, Illusion with the National Symphony Orchestra, and then also with the National Symphony Orchestra, a song called Till Waking Light, which is about uh, immigrants trying to get across the border. It's fantastic. <laughs> But all her stuff is great. On her album, her version of Kisas, 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 which we know as perhaps, 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 covered by Doris Day and Cake and Desi Arnaz. She does a great mm-hmm. version of that. <laughs> cake did it? Yeah, yes, Cake did it. Yeah, the Cake did a great version of it, man. Perhaps, perhaps, yeah. If you can't make your mind up, we'll never my daughter when she was a kid loved that version love the cake version i would just i would just hear it from the background a little voice go if you can't make your mind up we'll never <laughs> great memory i have a great memory but uh yeah check her out and um her album postalis is one that i would recommend and uh, all they're all good they're all good uh, but she has a beautiful voice and a lot of really mellow just beautiful stuff so that's how i fell mm-hmm. back to sleep there you go by the way, this episode of uh, the uh, Superiority Complex not brought to you by TIAA, Teachers Annuity, no, Teachers Insurance and Annuity Association of America, our unofficial sponsor. That's interesting. Plan your, plan your retirement with TIAA, formerly TIAA CREF. I used to like it when it was called CREF. No Northgate Market sponsor anymore? Uh, they still do with it is it is almost tamale season is almost upon us, but I haven't picked up my tamales yet hmm. from Northgate. Tamale season is on. Have you had a tamale yet? Christmas tamale. I've had I had three last night. My brother brought me some from a place up on Norwalk Boulevard. Can't think of the name of it. Oh, is it the one it's at like, Broadway? Norwalk? Is it La Moderna? Yeah, I think that's it. He uh, 
three three fresh tamales. That was my dinner last right, night. Right, 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 right in the old shopping center where uh, Pizza Man used to be. Right. Yeah, I think that was. Yeah, the, that's La Moderna. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great bakery. He brought me. What's the name of it? La Moderna. I'll say it for you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, these were just about the best tamales I've ever had. In that my is life. a that is a great bakery. <laughs> my my uncle used to own the little chicken restaurant right next door to it. Uh, the po- El oh, Pollo yeah? Ranchero. Yeah, that used to be my little mm. spot. Yep, yep, yep. Back in the about that. Tawny Tawny used to hang out there after school. That that, 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 that those were the days yeah. that she would go. But um, yeah, they had video games. My uncle and that opened that little. It was a little. Uh, it was a little uh, knockoff uh, Pollo Loco joint and. Uh, it's damn mm. good too. Damn good stuff. Mm. And uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let's, that's enough about us. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about you, boys. How you doing today, boys? Jake, you're looking good. You're looking fit. You have a day off. You worked all weekend. You made some money. Now you're ready. Ready to spend mm. that scratch. Spend that scrilla. Mm. <clears throat> really ready to not do anything and then for two days and then do it all over again. For right. <laughs> it's amazing how much rest you need after a couple of days and then you need you're right back at it. You don't, you don't think five days like, oh yeah, working five days of serving. It's like, yeah, it's just like any other job, you know, but oh, it's physical. I've got like blisters on my feet. I'm walking like seven, eight miles a shift. Right. Where are your Fitbit? You'll find out how many steps you do, man. Do that. I I track. I I average on like a busy night about seven, eight miles. Jesus. Yep. Uh, John, do you miss the busy season right now that you're not working? Are you missing that? Yeah, it's weird. I think it's the first time I haven't been there for a holiday season. Yeah. So well, the nice thing is you're not um, being inundated with Christmas music. Like you can choose <laughs> when you want to. Yeah, hear the- yeah, right. Exactly. Because at, 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 at a certain point, that's just part of the uh, you know the music system just goes to all Christmas music. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite Christmas album, John, of all time? What, what would you say? All time favorite? Is it the Phil Spector? You know, uh, I'll tell you the ones I play the most lately is uh, I love the, um, of course, the Vince Guaraldi Charlie Brown Christmas. Yes, mm, that's good. And then I followed up with the uh, two Ramsey Lewis Christmas albums. Yeah, Ramsey Lewis has a couple of great Christmas albums. Uh, yeah, and they finally they probably they finally put the volume two out. I think last year, um, I was like relying on bootlegs. The first one was out, but the second one. Yeah, I you could. Find, I think like, you a, could get an like old vinyl copy. You could always find his version of uh, uh, "Here Comes Santa Claus." Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you could find it on like compilations and stuff, but they they never put the whole album out. Yeah, yeah so now they're both out. They're both. Out. I think it's on Fantasy or something, right? Or whoever owns that label now. And uh, Concord, that's the, that's the that's the three I play the most. I, I play the Vince Guaraldi. I never get tired of the Vince Guaraldi. No, uh, that really sets a, that really sets a mood for Christmas, doesn't it? It does, and I was always trying to find something. I always wished there was a little more. Um, you know, they found they found a couple like uh, like alternate takes, and they sort of padded it out. And then I realized that playing the two Ramsey Lewis Christmas albums, it just extends the mood for about another hour. Right. <laughs> so, little, little, so those are the three. Yeah. yeah. Ramsey Lewis is a little bit more funky, a little little funky, but uh, yeah. but but if you want that piano sound, it's fantastic. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. That jazzy uh, little jazz trio kind of thing, yeah. Ramsey yeah. Lewis, great unsung Christmas album, yeah, love it. Jake, what about you? Do you hate Christmas music? You seem like a guy who would love it. Um, Pentatonics. I had to deal with Christmas music for three months out of the year for about six years of my life because of choir. 
So it's literally just ingrained in my brain whenever it whenever it rolls around. But uh, no, I actually like um, when I sit back and realize what I'm hearing or like the songs that I'm singing when I'm like at work or I hear it. It's usually Bing Crosby stuff. There you go. Mm-hmm. Say there, Porky. Let the old groaner take a whirl at them slick chicks. How about you, Mario? Your favorite Christmas album? Uh, the Star Wars Christmas album. Mm, there you go. Which features you what go. can we get a Wookiee for Christmas when he already owns a comb? There you go. <laughs> uh, I kid, I kid, of course. Um, yeah, Vince Guaraldi is up there. That's that's always that's like a that's a staple. Um uh man, you know, you know, uh, I love the James Brown Christmas album. That's oh, just, good one. That's good just one. that's a great one. That's just out there. Yeah. That's just out there. And then uh uh you know, I like I pick and choose different songs from different, you know, artists. You know, I have it really requires a mixtape. You right, really need it, it really does. Your, your own together. Because <laughs> um, yeah. how many how many people would put out a, an entire Christmas album that's any good? Right. Well it's usually like I'll tell you bits what and pieces. You know? The Ella Fitzgerald's uh jazz album. She has two Christmas albums. One mm. where she sings with a choir and she does more traditional, uh, and that's not, that's that's not bad. It's really it's good actually, but it's it's not very jazzy. It's more traditional yeah. Christmas hymns. And then her jazz album though is fantastic. If you have if you've never picked it up, that goes right up there with the Ramsey Lewis one, the Ella Fitzgerald. Ella wishes have a have a swing in Christmas. Yeah, Ella wishes you a swing in Christmas. And uh, there you go. That's a good one. That's a really fun one. Um. Yeah, those you know the jazz musicians know how to uh, know how to interpret a lot of those songs in a really cool way. So uh, yeah, yeah, you know who didn't put out a bad LP a couple of years ago was Weezer. Weezer did like some straightforward. Oh, yeah? They did some just straightforward. They didn't really goof it goof around, but they did uh-huh. like a just like some nice rock interpretations of uh, really. Yeah, mm. it was not bad. And that? then uh, you know Brian Setzer's album isn't bad. Oh yeah, he's got about three Christmas yeah. albums. The first one, <laughs> where, yeah, the first one which you hear a part of in uh, Elf, where he does the cover of, I forgot who did it. Uh, who? Oh, I think was it Stan Kenton? Not Stan Kenton. Who did the uh, the Nutcracker? The 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 jazz yeah. version of the Nutcracker. Um, yeah, he he does that one. And he does a great version of Oh Holy Night on that one. Like very sincere. Um, so yeah, you know, there's a lot of great Christmases they got there. Don't let the fact that it gets overplayed, you know, ruin the the holiday for you. You can find some good stuff, some gems. The, that- the, the thing is, you just have to look for it because right. otherwise it's all going to be like, you know, Mariah Carey and all that stuff. Right. I mean, it's just going to be the, the usual and stuff. And by the way, <laughs> by the way, I will take, uh, uh, I will take Diane Love doing, um, uh, what's the song? Oh, Darlene Love. What did doing, I say? Um, I'm, what did I say? I said I'm sorry. Darlene Love, doing um, um, Chris Christmas baby, please come home. Yes, yeah. I will take that yeah. any day over yeah. Mariah Carey. That to me, and remember Letterman used to have her on every year, and, every year and, for the Christmas show, and every year, like twenty years straight. Every yeah. year that yeah. thing got bigger and bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger, and boy, yeah. she rose to the occasion every year. I miss that. I miss when yeah. Letterman would have her on to do. Christmas baby, please come home. That is a great song, and it, that's how Gremlin starts. Come on, come on, 
come on. You, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, you know, Mariah Carey's okay. It doesn't, it, that song doesn't bother me the way it bothers a lot of other people. It's fine. But uh, to me, that's overplayed. Yeah. To me, uh, Darlene Love will always, Mrs. Roger Murtaugh will always be the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, it's really dumb when people try to cover it because it's like, really? You think you're going to do it better than Darlene Love? <laughs> you know? Like, I think you uh, too covered it one year. And it's like, really? Right. You know, it's like, really? You too did? Gonna... Really? Jesus. Yeah, you know. And it's like, uh, that's like, uh, well, you know. That's like when all the British bands tried to cover Dancing in the Street and it never, like, Bo- yeah. even Bowie and Jagger couldn't pull it off. You're like, no, wow, this just, is this is no good. This is stick, just stay in your lane, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Martha and the Vandellas have it covered, you know? Yeah. It just goes to show all those bands love Martha and the Vandellas. Sure. Sure. But it's it's dumb to think that you're gonna do a better job on heat wave. (laughs) Right. It's just come on, you're not it's not gonna happen, you know. (laughs) Everybody tries to cover dancing in the street and it never sounds good. Ever. Yeah. You're right. And everybody's covered it. God, even the kinks have covered it. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. Van Halen covered it, you know? Right. Yeah, calling out around mm. the world. Are you right? No, no. Yeah, no. It's, it's dumb. Mm-mm. That's that's that that video is nuts because they're mugging at the camera and dancing and you know bumping and grinding and it's like God. Of all the songs to cover too, why dancing in the street? I think it's because like, it's a thing. It's like a call, it's like an anthem for everybody to get together and because you're shouting out all the uh, cities. So when they do, uh, I think that was like for Live Aid. They did a video. And so they like to like shout out all the cities. How about New York? Uh, Philadelphia, too. You know, they're shouting out all the cities. So it becomes one of those. Yeah, it's like an anthem. Mm. So uh, that's why, you know, it becomes this thing. But it's usually embarrassing. It's yeah, usually yeah. cringeworthy. <laughs> uh, the, what was it? Um, uh, uh, who has the, who has the song Lights Out? Lights Out in Lights Out in whatever. Is it Pat Travers? Jimmy Parker. Oh, I it's Jim- a UFO. I think. Yeah, that's right. You, uh, it's UFO, and and J- uh, Jimmy Parter had a great bit, <laughs> had a great bit about UFO going lights out, lights out in Murfreesboro, you know, and then naming the wrong town in Murfreesboro. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, uh, just naming the wrong nights out in Kalamazoo. We're in, you know. Yeah, that's a typical spinal tap thing. You're calling out the wrong, right. the wrong city. <laughs> oh, hello, Cleveland. Are you ready to rock? Yeah, well, we're not in Cleveland today. <laughs> it's like, didn't you look at the itinerary? <clears throat> Scream for me, Long Beach. Good morning, Wichita. Right. <laughs> mm. I hear Long Beach loves to rock. Is that true? <laughs> <sighs> cheap applause. Just a way to get cheap applause. Yep. Exactly. I hear the Cerritos Center perform- for the Performing Arts <laughs> likes to rock. <laughs> and then you go uh, into uh, like, cat- then you go into Cat Scratch Fever because you're Ted Nugent. And that's Uh Did you like the Nuge before he became a conservative stooge? Uh, John, uh, I I always thought, even in high school, I thought he was a real meathead. You know, it's like, you know, a couple of those songs, you know, the ones that they would play all the time, like Free For All and uh, Cat Scratch Fever. It, you know, I always thought, OK, this is this is for meatheads. You know? right. <laughs> Stranglehold. Here comes Stranglehold. Hell yeah. yeah, you know. So it wasn't a big surprise as he started making his politics a little more, you know, a little more known. It's like, of course, you know, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. So. 
Of course. I'll tell you something, though. I, I, you know, before uh, he was uh, solo, he was in a band called the, uh, the Amboy Dukes. Oh, yeah. He, he, was, he was playing guitar. I don't think he was singing. Somebody else was doing the singing. And they've got a really insane version of uh, Baby, Please Don't Go. It's like a 20-minute version of Baby, Please Don't Go. And it's pretty crazy. So um, I always enjoy that. And then there's another one, I think, called Journey to the Center of Your Mind. Right, so, right. So they were kind, that was kind of like a late 60s last gasp. But then uh, I don't think he was singing, though. I think he's doing all the crazy guitar, but he's not singing. How do I, John, how do I know the Amboy Dukes? Where do I know them from? Well, that would be it. That would be it. No, uh, but, but, where, but how did I become familiar with the Amboy Dukes? Oh, should, should I know the answer to this? <laughs> it's a television show. Ah, oh, what would that be? Yeah, what would that be? Hmm, a television show. SCTV. Oh, there you go. Did they play that? I think they did. Were they one of the music? Yeah, one of the musical guests on one of God, the early. So funny. On one of the early. Uh, on one of the early shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Amboy Dukes. Yeah, God, they had some odd musical guests. They had the tubes on one time. They had the tubes. Yeah, they had the tube. They had uh, 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 what's what's I just had was on the tip of my tongue. I was just thinking about it right now. They had, um, well, you know, what the great thing about them is they would do SCTV would integrate the musical guests into the skits. So, like, uh, they did the they did that great spoof of uh, of uh, Chinatown called Polynesian Town. And uh, Johnny LaRue, Johnny LaRue has a restaurant, like a rib joint. And Dr. John is playing in the rib joint. He's playing in the rib joint. And that's how they got. Uh, uh, that's how I he's in it. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good or stuff. Or the fishing musician. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, that's it, man. So good old SCTV. Dig those up on the YouTubes. Somebody's running those like crazy. There's clips all over the place. I think the Boomtown Rats I saw for the first time on SCTV as well. The Boomtown Right, the, God. The Boom There's Town. a name from the past. Right. I, I saw them at the Hollywood Palladium. How, was, how were they? Yeah, they were good. That, they had the, the closest thing they ever had to a hit, I think, was called I Don't Like Mondays. And I think that might have been the closest thing they had to a hit. Um, or I guess the other one was called Up All Night. You know, they were kind of like at the you know, bubbling under just in the, you know, a K rock, the sort of band K rock would play, you know? Right. Right. But I think X opened for them. And that was, that was the real <laughs> attraction because they were the, you know, they were the hometown band. Sure. Did he give it to him? What's that? Did he give it to him? <laughs> he gave it to him. <laughs> X going to him? Gonna give it to him. That is terrible. Uh, that's a good joke. Good, good, good reference. Good reference. Good. Cross. We're talking a lot of music today. Uh, you know, Ooh, X, speaking you know. of Christmas and X, have you listened to the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer cover by DMX? Oh yes, of course. That's that is something special. If you haven't heard it, now I, I have to <laughs> do it a while to, back though, right? Yeah, uh, like yeah, maybe like six, yeah. seven. No, even farther. Six, probably like ten years, six ago. years ago. Seven. Mm-hmm. Now, I got to tell you guys something. I, I did trick you into talking about Christmas music because I wanted to bring up, and I wanted it to be organic. Uh, our friend Hob the Troll has a he Christmas album. He has a, he has a volume, I think it's volume three of his, uh, let me look it up. It's on Bandcamp. You can, you can pick it up. Uh, if you oh can't, wait God. till Friday to pick it up because he will get 100% of the proceeds. It's Troll, the Ancient Yuletide Carols, volume three. Oh, my God. By Hob the Troll. We've got uh, Drinking with Some Elves. I'm a drinking with some elves. Uh, 
<laughs> oh my god. Then there's Indeed. Frosty, the awful version. Uh, my favorite track on the album, I ate three sheets of gingerbread, of gingerbread, of gingerbread. Uh, there's Santa's Beard. Christmas Crabs, John, which you will love, which <laughs> because it's a it's a it's a spoof of uh, Christmas Island. Uh, <laughs> and then Ho Ho Ho, Who'd Be a Turkey at Christmas? With if you listen very carefully, you will hear the laughter of our very own John Sandy at the beginning of that song in the background. Is that right? That's how he opened it. Remember, he asked us to send a little uh, track where we were oh. pretending to be talking. That's crazy. So it, you are you are on an album, sir. Jesus, you are on an That's album. Crazy. You are you, so. That's crazy. So Hob the Troll, Troll the Ancient Utah, Yuletide Carols, Volume Three, available on Bandcamp. And if you can, you want to pick it up. Wait till Friday because uh, he will get one hundred percent of the proceeds uh, on Friday. And Is you can pick up. You, you can right? pick up. That's yeah, it's on Bandcamp. You can pick up his other albums like uh, Pet Smells. Uh, and uh, <laughs> 50 million Hob fans can't be found. Those are some great, uh, those are some also some some of his albums you can find, and they're on Bandcamp. I've got that, I've got that one. Oh, it's good. You have a, I think you have a physical copy of that one, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. it's so funny. It's like you've got an actual physical copy, yeah. So, check out uh, check our friend Hob the Troll, fantastic Steve O'Dockerson as Hob the Troll. It's amazing stuff, and uh. Yeah, yeah, give me your support. So go get out to Bandcamp, Hob the Troll, H O B, the Troll, and uh, I. He moved. He performed at a different Ren Fair this year. I think he performed at the uh, Pennsylvania Ren Fair, and I, he he said it was fantastic. He had a great time. He had a great time doing it. So, um, so he good. Best of luck to our friend Steve O'Donnell, and pick up his album for God's sake. <laughs> Buy it for your friends for Christmas. Gift them the. The subscription. Yeah. Give them not the subscription, give, but give them give them the gift of laughter. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. I'm amazed because he does everything himself. He does the recording, all the the does all the music. He, he mixes it, does everything himself at his little at his home studio. So he's a troll of many talents. He is. He's a mm -hmm. troll of many talents, and you get to hear John Sandy at the beginning of that song. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Wait, we're song is what? It's Wait. yeah, yeah. You didn't hear that. You didn't. So remember no. last week after we. We hung up and I sent you guys a text. I said, "Hey, can you guys could jump back on?" And nobody jumped back on. John was the only one that jumped back on because Hob the Troll had asked us to record, uh, just like background conversation, like we were at a Christmas uh, party, like so, party chatter. So John Damn and it. I just got on and basically did a twenty-minute episode that only Steve O'Dockerson <laughs> has heard. It's one. It's one that's only it's on. A, it's a. It's a special edition. Um, and. It. And so uh, he, he, That's he, funny. he specifically wanted John's laugh. And so it oh, actually yeah. opens the, <laughs> it actually opens the, yeah. What song is that? What song is that on? It's, uh, it's on Hot oh. Patrol. If you go to Bandcamp right now, you can hear the sample. Yeah. And it's going to be the last song, which is called Who'd Be a uh, Ho Ho Ho, Who'd Be a Turkey at Christmas. Oh. And that's a, is that's either Elton John or Paul McCartney? That's the flip side of something. Oh, that's the flip side of Step Into Christmas. That's Elton John, right? There you go. See? Yeah. That's funny. I never heard that. They play Step Into Christmas all the time, but I always think, what does that flip side sound like? Ho, 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 who'd be a turkey for Christmas? Hob the Troll sang, played guitar, bass, banjo, synth, toy piano, ukuleles, slide guitar, and programmed all the drums. Jesus. Yeah. He's. he's can you hear it's it? the Renaissance man? Are you listening to it? Uh, 
it's did, great. Did you hear John's uh, little? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. See, John, you're famous, John. You are now a recording yeah. artist. How do you feel, man? The, the, <laughs> the, 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 yep. Unmistakable laughter of John's. Well, people think there's something wrong with your stereo. It's like ever immortalized in, a, in there a you song. Go. It's in there, man. Mm-hmm. You're immortal. You're immortal. You you live forever. Your voice lives forever. <laughs> what if uh, in ten thousand years all of civilization is turned to dust, but somehow they find this podcast? What will they think of our civilization? <laughs> the cult of Sandy. The cult of John Sandy. Oh man. Uh, this is the only remnant it, left of humanity. Our too, podcast. It's too too horrifying to, to conceive. <laughs> Oh God! Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Charming to the last. Charming I, to the last. I would be happier if the one thing that survived was the Kink Chronicles. <laughs> if, if, if humanity's going to be known by one thing, I'd kind of be happier if it was that. The Kink Chronicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what what album would you want to survive to into eternity? You know, like if the Mayans or the Aztecs could have left us with like a recording, what would it have been? You know. <laughs> You know the ancient, the, well, the ancient Egyptians. Well, I love that uh, what what they shot into outer space. You know, it's like it's like Bach and Beethoven and Chuck Berry. There you go. So, <laughs> oh, by the way, if you're on uh, if you're on the Voodoo uh, or you know available now digitally, uh, a movie called Jazz on a Summer's Day, uh, which was a, a weird little documentary shot at the 1958 Newport Jazz Festival. Um, and you get these performances. It was shot by a photographer named Bert Stern, and uh, but he also tried to do make it kind of a little artsy. So there's like not a plot going on, but there's a weird thing in the beginning where um, you're not you're seeing stuff from like the boat race, and you're seeing um, the America's Cup was held that year. So you're seeing like the boat race, and you're seeing all these little things from around the town, and then they have like this band um, that are kind of actors that are not doing stuff, weird stuff. It's kind of weird at first. And then it settles into the, an actual, and it's one of the first concert movies and you Mm. get full performances by uh, Chuck Berry's in there. Uh, Chuck Berry does sweet little 16 Louis Armstrong. Yes. uh, Louis Armstrong. Uh, What's crazy is they have Chuck playing with like a jazz orchestra. So you see uh, Jack Teagarden, who who was a trombonist with, uh, with Louis Armstrong for many years and you see him just wow. watching Chuck Berry and kind of smiling, you know, wow. just watching him do his thing. And then instead of a like a sax or a piano, uh, there's a clarinet solo on that song. So it's kind of wow, a weird, weird. Uh, weird thing. But you have him doing uh, Sweet Little Sixteen. Then you have uh, Big May Bell, another, uh, another uh, kind of early rock, <laughs> proto-rock artist. Uh, but then, you, yeah, you get like Chico Hamilton. You get uh, Anita O'Day has an insane set. Um, and then uh, Louis Armstrong is kind of the, like the star, and then you have Mahalia Jackson close it out. So there's some, it's really interesting to 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 watch. It's an interesting uh, watch. I've yeah. been wanting to see that. I think I've seen the clips of Anita O'Day. I think that's all I've seen. Right. The Louis Armstrong <laughs> set is really great because it's like him with the you know the All Stars doing. Uh, he does Lazy River and it's fantastic. He does a couple of numbers. It's in color, right? In color. Uh, shot yeah. and really and, and and then a lot of great shots of the crowd so you see what everybody looked like before like rock and roll takes over but there are a couple of like teeny boppers in the crowd dancing to chuck yeah. berry and then yeah. um 
And then you just get a lot of old, like these older people that are just, you know, probably like World War II vets just sitting there listening to all the jazz, you know. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's a great, uh, it's a great, you know, really took a lot. It's really a picture in time. It really is like the late 50s kind of pre-rock and roll, like what everybody looks like, you know. Um, Yeah. And you see, it's interesting, in the crowd, uh, you see a lot of... uh, black and white people sitting together and you know so you figure it's rhode island so it's you know in the north and it's probably a little less and maybe something like a concert venue was a little more integrated you would you know you'd think you know so but it is a very uh you know interesting uh moment music did that it's funny music is what really was the the great integrator right 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 they said that's something you couldn't people that wanted to stop it they couldn't because music it's just if you if you like it, you're going to be there, and uh, they say that's what really did it. Right, right, yeah. It's it's worth checking out. So it's on it's uh, it's on digital now. It's a, it's a, you can get it as a digital download, and uh, I got it for five bucks. I think it was for five bucks. So voodoo. I think I, I think I. It's got your it. voodoo. Remember that song? It's your voodoo. Yeah. You don't know that song? I don't think so. I know. Go do that voodoo that you do so it's well. It's your voodoo working. It's, uh, I forgot who did that one. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I got my mojo working. <laughs> uh, but it just won't work on you. That's right. I got a black cat bone. <laughs> so is, is Muddy Waters in that movie? Because I know he did a set at one of the Newport no, shows. No, sir. No, sir. Okay. Because he's got that whole album. It's him at Newport. It may right. not even be the same year. Yeah, yeah. Newport. I mean, that was a that was a huge jazz festival for years and years and years and years and years and years. And oh, years. you know what it was? The year that he played, they had like a blues day. I oh, think. okay. They had so all that they said this day we'll just we're going to invite all the blues artists. This day yeah. will be for hence henceforth known <laughs> as Blues Day, because that's how they talk in Rhode that, Island. That's an incredible live album. For yeah, that's a, just one of the better live albums of all time. Muddy Waters at Newport. Uh, they seem to have a really good setup for recording at Newport because a lot of people put albums out. One of Duke Ellington's most famous albums was live at Newport, and I think it was the Is year. That right? I think it was the year before this one. Oh, the great thing about that uh, performance with Chuck uh, Chuck Berry is you have uh, Joe Jones from the old Count Basie band playing the drums. So that's no kind kidding. of interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, right on. Yeah, it just shows you how easy it is to play rock and roll. But um, <laughs> right, the jazz guys. Yeah, like, like Earl Palmer. He's all you know. There's not much to this. You I know? kid, I kid. But you know, Gene Krupa did say that he would play at the Metropole in the '60s, and yeah. he said, you know, they'd have him playing rock, and he's like, you know, it's you know, the kids love it, but it's it's not for me. It's just very simple. You know, it's just very boring <laughs> to him. To a guy like him, it's like it's so rudimentary. You know, it's kind of funny. Like Earl Palmer, I, he said he. They said, "Oh, you invented rock and roll drumming." He said, "Well, I was backing up a little Richard. I had to do something. I mean, he's going a, he's going a hundred miles a minute, and I, I had to do something. You have to, you know, right? Like, you have to keep up, keep up, or get out of the way. So right. you know, they always go, "Wow, how'd you do it?" You know, right? For them, it was just probably just going back to real basic beats and stuff. I mean, you know, back beats and stuff like that that would be basic to it. Yeah, like Charlie Watts used to say, basically, it's dance music. I mean, Charlie Watts was a a jazz fanatic and he says you had to find out what the common ground is is that it's dance music you're trying to put 
get asses out on the on the dance floor. So he says that once I thought of it like that, I was able to do it. Right. The idea is to get you moving and to get you up on the dance. It's floor. so crazy says, that all those way. all those British guys were like huge jazz. I mean, you know, you, you hear about Keith yeah. Moon and Bonham and all those guys yep. watching like Buddy Rich yep. and and uh, they were all like yeah. jazz fans to start out. It was crazy. It's so weird. Yeah, it kind of makes sense because, you know, it, rock and roll is so new at that point. You know, they're kind of making it up as they go along. So, uh, like you always say, Gene Krupa is like the first big, you know. Right. <laughs> that's or, the one. Or Buddy Rich. Their parents were probably listening to it because, you know, they, yeah, were, they it, were probably all from that World War II generation, you know. But I think they loved the flash of it, you know. Sure. <laughs> it's like. Sure. Krupa looks like a rock. Krupa looks like a rock star before there is a, such a thing as rock and roll. Meanwhile, you know? Jake's family is getting into the modern airs and the and the um who was oh frank sinatra and the with tommy dorsey know, the, pie, the, the pied piper yes that's jake's alley up, up jake's alley right there the harmonies who? the harmonies man the harmonies. i do love i do love a good harmony jake what do you sing what do you sing? what do you uh 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 tenor um, tenor slash baritone, depending how I'm feeling. Oh, really? Basic, you can go. You can uh, go bass, into. The, I'm a bass in the early morn. So. <laughs> <laughs> how we do it till you come early in the morning? Till you come out of the bathroom. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hey, how you yeah. doing? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Hey, welcome to welcome to Superior yeah. Complex, everybody. Your new favorite podcast. We're all gonna do our uh, sexy DJ voices for the rest of the hour. Um, yeah. We're coming up on the midnight hour here. We're going to play a little, uh, here's a little uh, Diminuendo and Crescendo in Blue by the Duke Ellington Orchestra at Newport in 1958. Take it away, Duke. And then you go to the restroom. And then, yeah, yeah. That's a 14-minute song. For 10 That's a 14-minute song. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. The DJs know all the tricks. Yeah. All right. Got to go to the bathroom. So we're going to play In Agata de Vida. Yeah, just gonna, yeah. Here we go. With the, <laughs> here we go with In Agata de Vida. And here is uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Here is CCR with I Heard It Through the Grapevine. <laughs> now I can go downstairs, get a sandwich, use the bathroom, get a drink. Right. Come on back. Mm-hmm. 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 Trick of the trade. Trick of the trade. All right. Listen, guys. We fooled around mm-hmm. long enough. We've, we've, look, we're here. We know what we're here for. We're here for one thing. We're here to escape from Los Angeles. Am I right? This week's movie. Yes. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. I have to tell you guys, pro- there are going to be some programming changes coming up in the new year because we missed a bunch that. of movies. We missed a bunch of movies in the early 90s. What did we miss? We missed Patriot Games. We missed... Clear and present danger. We missed something else, and I think we, I think we're late on a Bond movie. We might be late. These don't sound like good movies. Oh no, Patriot Games is the sequel to Hunt for Red October. Oh, Jack Ryan it now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Harrison Ford is Jack. Ryan. Harrison Ford oh. taking over the Jack Ryan role. Yeah, oh. pretty good. Harrison Ford is Jack Ryan. Harrison Ford oh, is Jack Ryan after Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Ba boom. You say we missed them because you like going in chronological order. So I do way, like yeah, going in chronological order. But what yeah. happens is I buy these movies in bundles and they 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 get listed by the last. So if the last movie came out in 2018, even if the first movie is like 1992, 
Mm. It'll show up in my 2018 oh. timeline. Oh, you know what I'm saying? It'll show so up in the timeline. Yeah, yeah. So I had to like go back and go, oh, shit. That's how, why the, we kept missing Bond movies. Mm. Because I bought them according to the star. So I bought all the Connery ones and I bought all the, mm. you know, Roger Moore. That So they're they're done by whichever the, the last one is. So, you know, I Diamonds see. Are Forever was 71. So we were missing them in the 60s. And I'd be like, oh, shit, we missed You Only Live Twice. You only live twice. <laughs> Yaddy. Or so say, one for yourself and one, one to for- put away. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that, that Nancy Sinatra, if uh, mm. she can, that song is beautiful. And uh, the strings on that song, boy, oh, boy. The, uh, John Barry, they just gave through all the money at him. And they're like, here. Here, have the yeah. most lush production sound you can possibly have. Uh, those Bond soundtracks album soundtrack albums from that era are just mwah, perfection. Um, lush, lush. Mwah. You only live twice, <laughs> and then you're dead. I don't know the we words. We have all the time in the world. <laughs> Uh, Talk about strings on that one. Man. Yeah, that, oh man, that is a great uh, that is a great song, and it's got that weird guitar, that like '60s guitar, and then you have like the you have like the Burt, yeah, then you have like the Burt Camphir or the, uh, the 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 Tijuana brass uh, trumpets come in. It's like man, this is right. this is so '60s and not jazz, and yet it works because you have Louis yeah. Armstrong's voice. Uh, yeah. So that is a great song. That is a great. We have all, but ironically, they don't have all the time in the world, John. Why? Because mm. well, soon, we know why. Don't no spoilers. Tracy, <laughs> it's, will, been, yeah. it's, been, it's been sixty years. No spoilers. Two words. Drive by. That's all I'm going to mm. say. Um, mm. Damn that Telly Savalas. I love it. As Blofeld. Uh, Jake, why don't you tell us a little about the movie that we are going to talk about today? Escape from L.A. Do we do we have to talk about this movie? You didn't love it. <laughs> so this is probably Escape from L.A. This is probably August before 1996. you start. Hold on, hold on. Before you start, this is probably second only to The Godfather. And possibly Empire Strikes Back, as far as sequels are concerned. Before no, we get started, come on. Before we get started, <laughs> you need to understand that. Come, come now, right away. Mm, I see. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> well, Mille, released August 9th, nineteen ninety six, directed by John Carpenter, with a budget of fifty million dollars. John, how much do you think this made? I think this was a flop. It cost fifty million. Yep. I think this was a flop. I'm going to say it made like 40 million. <laughs> Mario, how much do you think this made? Budget of 50 million. It made 10 million dollars. Um, closest without going over is going to be Mario with a uh, total box office or total box office revenue of 25.5 million dollars. Which is surprising that they spent fifty million dollars on this movie because there are some questionable green screen moments. <laughs> oh, there are a lot of questionable green screen moments. There's very and, questionable uh, green screen moments. Uh, well, the thing I love about this movie is it just it embraces the bad special effects. Uh, it the special effects were never good. 
They were bad when the movie was released. Mm. Um, I think John Carpenter was just trying to go back to that Escape from New York feel. I think he wanted it to feel like... I, I think it was partly done on purpose, knowing John Carpenter, because he wanted... Much like a Lucas... He's like a reverse George Lucas, who... George Lucas was like, I must bring the special effects into the the the, the you know uh, to modern times so i'm gonna go retool all the original star wars whereas john carpenter's like we can do the special effects better but i want it to match what the original looked like back in 79 <laughs> right. i really feel like right, that's what right. he was going for i really do sure and yeah. uh I, I i i would not put it past john carpenter and because he doesn't care about special effects John Carpenter is not a guy who's going to be like, well, we wanted the, you know, where he does it is a movie like The Thing, right? All of the budget mm-hmm. goes into making the monster look as effective as possible. As believable. Right. Sure. That's you, you where John. said, I don't want it to look like a guy in a suit, you know, right. with a zipper up the back. That's you know? where John yeah. Carpenter's, like, that's where his, that's where his priorities lie. So if you're going to have Kurt, uh, uh, Kurt Russell's surf a wave, he doesn't care if it looks real or not, as long as it gets him on, you know, it gets Snake Plissken from A to B. That's all he needs. So I really yeah. feel like at first when I saw this movie, I was really put off by the uh, by the bad special <laughs> effects. And then later on, I just thought, no, this is John Carpenter doing it on purpose. This is he's just yeah. like, you know, uh, I'm just going to, you know, do the whatever it takes to tell the story. doesn't need to look absolutely real. And because it's a it's he's spoofing his own movie, basically. Really? Sure. He's really spooky. Yeah, how many years had pa- how many years had passed? I think fifteen. Who was asking for its right? How many fifteen? I think it was fifteen. So, yeah. so like, who is who is asking for a sequel to Escape from New York? You know, I think he who just thought that was a good idea. I think he just had it in him. I think he just wanted to work with Kurt Russell again. I think it was just. I honestly think this movie was an excuse to work with Kurt Russell, and just yeah, hang, I think they really enjoy working with each and other and just hang yeah. out. I think he liked the character. I think he liked the character of Snake Plissken and just wanted to revisit him. Yeah, you know. That's really all it is. And at this point, you know, his movies, you know, he's said himself, his movies never make a lot of money anyway, so he's just going to do what he wants to do. So right, this is just right. an idea. But I, I do like the idea that he's spoofing himself because he really is. It's yeah. almost, it almost beat for beat matches the original movie. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And so. It's just West Coast. Yeah. You're, it's just West Coast now. <laughs> I love that Disneyland is the big meeting place. Yeah. I love that. we're going to meet at the happy kingdom, you know, and I love happy that, you kingdom. know, yeah. Steve Buscemi is basically Ernest Borgnine, you know? Yeah. And he's great. Yeah. He's great. Uh, yeah. So for me, this movie is all about all the, it's, it's the, it's the cameos. It's Kurt Russell. It's, uh, it's him putting Bruce Campbell in weird makeup. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the king of the uh, facelift. The, yeah, uh, the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills. Um, yeah, it's just it was basically him just kind of taking knocks at Hollywood. Basically, yeah. it was just him yeah. kind of taking pot shots. It was just an excuse for him to crap all over Hollywood, is what it yeah. was. Uh, so yeah, I think there's some stuff in here. It's not. Is it a great movie? No, but this goes to show. I, I like I've said it before. I would watch Kurt Russell just, you know, read the read the yellow pages. I'd watch him eat breakfast and uh, read the pages. Because he's always good. Yes. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and, as, uh, he's always he's always watchable. So, you know, 
uh, no matter how silly the movie gets, you know, he's always interesting. Right, right. And somehow brings, you know, Kurt Russell always essentially plays Kurt Russell, but he is, he, this, you know, but when you watch something like this in Tombstone, it's not the same guy. It's, it's not the no. same, it's not the same guy. Kurt, he does act, you know, and, you know, yeah. it's easy to mistake Kurt Russell for like, because, you know, as like the, from the rest, it's easy to, to mis lump him in with the rest of the eighties action stars. But remember we've seen him in stuff like used cars where he's legitimately funny. He's legitimately yeah. hilarious in, in uh, used cars and not playing like an action guy. You know, he's playing, you know, I mean, he's, he can do every, he can do every tone. I mean, uh, then you think about something like the hateful eight, you know? right. Or, uh, or death proof, you know, Tarantino's thrown him a couple really good parts where he really goes outside of the box, you know? Right. Right. Uh, you know, or you watch him in something like, um, what's the one with Robin Williams where he's the quarterback, uh, John best of time. Yes. That's kind of an unsung movie. That's kind of a, yeah, that's, yeah. and that's two great performances, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, and, and Kurt Russell's really good in that. And so, or you watch something like breakdown where he's like this kind of desperate guy, you know? Yeah. And uh, you're, or you know, again, executive decision where he's a little nerdy, not quite the guy yeah. in charge, or right. or you know, you watch him in in Little Big Trouble in Little China where he's kind of too dumb to realize he's not the hero, you know. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I think he doesn't get, he doesn't get credit. He's uh, a little bit like Jeff Bridges, although I think Jeff Bridges has finally gotten his due. Sure, but. I think it was easy for years for people to just sort of take him for granted. I think with Kurt Russell, it's very easy to, uh, to overlook just how good he is. He's right. underrated. Right. Know. I had fun watching this again. Um, it's just a fun, dumb movie. There's nothing, it's not great. It's not going to win any awards, but it's just, uh, an hour and 90 minutes of just, you know, weirdness, uh, just yeah. John Carpenter being weird. And uh, so whether or not you're on board with that is really going to shade how you how you like the picture. You know, uh, this is almost like a Jackie Chan movie where you got to rate it as a John Carpenter movie. It's this. But as a regular movie, it's this. It's one of those. Right. right. Because I love that we, me and Jake were talking at the beginning. He gives he gives Pam Greer a part and then gives her a weird voice. It's like, what, what are you doing, John? You know, but uh, oh, I'm sorry. What did I do? Yeah, no, 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 no. What are you doing? No, what we're talking about doing? John Carpenter. Um, you know, what's weird is I was trying to figure out how they did the voice. If the, it sounds like what they did is they slowed down her voice. It sounds like they pitched her down a little bit. <laughs> Maybe because it's, um, it's not like somebody is looping it. It's not like somebody's overdubbing. So I bet you they slowed down her voice. So it was deeper. I'm going to look up the trivia for a second. There's got to be somebody who's got a piece of uh, information on that. Cause I thought this is not like, it's not matching her lips. They've, they've brought down the. Uh, Jake, and go ahead and give us give us your give us your opinion on the movie while I look whilst I look up the trivia. I'm all for, I'm all for having just a <laughs> just a silly romp through L.A. Right, you know, silly action movie. But I like it at least. Can we at least like semi ground it in reality just a little <laughs> bit? Like they spend the next five minutes, it, or like towards the end, they're spending five minutes in a paraglider, just making like sweeping passes, like they're in a little like, <laughs> mini mini plane. Or when he's <laughs> when they're riding the wave, it just clearly looks like they're just comped in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, like some yeah. fifth grader just some fifth grader just uh booted up after effects and comp some one of his buddies in. 
See, now know, anybody any, anybody can do that now. Yeah. <laughs> Even to do it that silly, you needed you needed like studio mechanics to do it. You know. Oh, mm. jo- John, here you go. I have uh, I have uh, a couple of trivia. So, uh, the film was caught in development hell for eleven years. A script was as a script. It was first commissioned in 1985, but John Carpenter thought it was too light and too campy, and it remained dormant. <laughs> it remained dormant until Kurt Russell Carpenter and Carpenter got together with Deborah Hill. Um, uh-huh. Russell's <laughs> Russell's persistence is what got the film made. Ah, Snake Plissken was his, he, Snake Plissken was his favorite character, and he wanted to play it again. Ah, oh my god! Ah, how about that? So it's his fault. That's great. <laughs> Does Kurt? Oh, because you know, because he gets a writing credit, doesn't he? He he gets a credit on the screenplay. I think. According to an interview yeah. with John Carpenter, Kurt Russell not only came up with but wrote the entire ending of the movie. That makes wow. a lot of sense. Yeah, it's the only sequel. Well, the the- it's the only sequel he uh, John Carpenter uh, ever directed. Um, and it was cr- criticized for being too similar to its predecessor. Christ. I mean, it's a sequel for Christ's sake, you know, um, I that's think interesting that it took that long to make it. And that uh, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. you can tell for Kurt Russell, he's probably having the most fun of anybody playing that character, you know, here we go. Listen to this. Yeah. I mean, he got to play, he got to play fucking basketball to save his life. So, <laughs> you know, you can't say that about escape from New York. Oh, by the way, uh, Kurt Russell making those shots. Those mm-hmm. did not look like that was mm-hmm. cut. That looked like he was, that was impressive. Yeah, he, he was he's making talk. so he he has an impressive jumper, Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. Uh checked it. Well, he played baseball. If you ever if you want to see a great documentary on like Netflix, on Netflix, uh it's called uh, The Battered Bastards of Baseball. And it's a mm. story about a uh, an independent baseball team that his dad owned and he played yeah. for for a brief period. Uh wow. great documentary. Uh-huh. The film is known for having rather poorly produced CGI. This was due to this. Okay, my theory is out of the water. This was due to the fact that the employees at the visual effects house, Buena Vista Visual Effects, had never dealt with computer graphics before and didn't know how to achieve them properly. Jeez, you can absolutely tell. Oh my god! Oh my god! When he was in like the torpedo pod or anything, when he was initially getting there and he stepped out. It's like you couldn't have like cut a piece of cardboard or like painted something to look like it. It's like they comped him in, but you can clearly tell he's just behind like a little piece of green screen or something. It's obvious it's not ILM. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, it's listen not to industrial light and magic. Yeah. You could have you could have paid it like you could have paid an 18-year-old fresh out of high school. Here, can you paint us something like this and put it on like a piece of plywood? And it would have looked. It would have looked better. Hey, this is this is for Brent because he hates it. John. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Brent hates this movie. John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars was originally intended to be a third Snake Plissken film entitled Escape from Mars, but when Escape from L.A. did not do well at the box office, the screenplay was rewritten and the character of Desolation Williams took Plissken's place as the lead. How about that? And who played that character? I believe, well, Ice Cube is in that movie. I forgot who else is in there. Yeah. Uh, I haven't, I've seen that movie Funny. once. Um, yeah. John that Carpenter later reflected, Escape from L.A. is better than the first movie. Ten times better. Huh. 
It's got more to it. It's more mature. It's got a lot more to it. I think people don't like it because they felt it was a remake, not a sequel. I suppose it's the old Mm -hmm. question of whether you like Rio Bravo or El Dorado. (laughs) Uh, They're essentially the same movie. They both had their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I don't know. You never know why a movie is going to make it or not. People didn't want to see Escape that time, but they really didn't. uh, People wanted to see Escape at that time, but they really didn't want to see The Thing. You just wait. You got to give them a little while. People will say, you know what? What was wrong with me? I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they always say years have to pass. You, know, Somebody said you have to wait like 10 years before you've even got an idea. If a movie's got any staying power, they said, you don't know. Years have to pass to see if it finds its audience. Right. If it was a little a little ahead of its time, or if it was good, does it have uh, staying power? You know, if you like it the year it came out, how does it hold up ten years later? You know, yeah, you know, not everyone can write. You know, not everyone can make a movie like Titanic. You know, uh, <laughs> that's true. Uh, I'd rather watch this than Titanic, though. I'd rather watch this now. This was back to back than watch Titanic once. How about that? So this you was watched 90... this twice, and you still wouldn't finish it. What was this, 94, 95? 96. 96, yeah. So this is, after, this is after Pulp Fiction, but before Jackie Brown, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think so. Because uh, yeah, I'm guessing Pam Greer had a, it must have been fun. This must have been like a real kick. I, but I'm watching it going, oh, poor Pam Greer. Look what they got her doing. But then I thought, she probably got a real big kick out of that. To get you know, into character... Like a, to get into character, Pam Greer would put a sock in her pants during shooting. <laughs> <laughs> so she obviously that's had fun. So funny. Yeah, that's she probably thought that was a, a like. How, when am I ever going to be asked to do this? You know, right, that must have been like a, a real hoot. Right, Don't get me wrong. Thought, this, seemed, uh, this seemed like a really fun movie to be a part of. You know, right, not necessarily, you know. not necessarily to watch. <laughs> not necessarily to watch, but like, <laughs> like come on. Kurt Russell's shooting hoops and hang gliding. Come on, you loved it. Well, look uh, when they're when they're surfing the tsunami, surfing and they, on a tsunami, and he's and he's right alongside oh <laughs> Steve Buscemi, and then he just sort of like hops in the car. Kurt Russell is chasing Steve Buscemi, <laughs> who is in a car on a surfboard. <laughs> And they're surfing a tsunami, right? So, a tsunami. And don't forget oh. Peter Fonda, who says "dude" and "bitchin" a lot in yeah. this movie. And again, I thought, "Oh no, Peter Fonda!" And I thought, "Nope, he's loving this. He is loving this right. because he probably he knows all those guys. You know? <laughs> like, you know, if anybody knows the way they talk, you know, God, right? You know. Exactly. Uh, but I kept like sort of going, "Oh no, look who they got!" And you know, like, he loved it. You could tell. It. Yeah, you could tell. He he, he, got, he was it was it was a a day of shooting and a paycheck, so he was probably yeah. happy. You know. He was probably yeah. gonna catch the big one, man. Come on, totally terrible, dude. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, dude, bitching, man, bitching, bitching. I, the only thing I, the only person I could thought of would have would have been as good in that role would have been David Carradine to be mm-hmm. that kind of like bitching, yep. man. Yeah, you know. Uh, Happy Kingdom, of course, was supposed to be Disneyland at Disney, mm-hmm. but the Happy Kingdom set was the town square from uh, from Back to the Future. Oh, uh, that I know. Like that, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's really familiar. Mm-hmm. I can't tell what it is. That makes sense. Uh, Kurt Russell was 45 and still fit into the original 
uh, Snake Plissken uniform from the uh, from the first movie. So there you go. That's some some trivia. Impressive. Definitely in good shape. Yeah, is you know, this movie was this movie was something. Uh, did, did you love it? John, what did you say? <laughs> it's funny because you think Escape from New York is silly, and then you realize, comparatively speaking, <laughs> it really is a little less silly. Once you watch this one, you go, okay, Escape from New York was a little, a little less silly. you know. <laughs> and I don't know how much of that was the effects or how much of it was what they expected us to believe. You know? Right. But uh, I did like the thing at the end with the hologram. I thought that, so if you say, Kurt Russell's the one that wrote the ending. I do like that last bit. Yeah. Where he's, uh, it's the hologram and he's like, fuck you. I'm going to shut down the whole planet. If you're all assholes, we're going to start from square one. You know? Right. Not expecting that. That was a good twist ending right there. Yeah. I love it. And he finally makes use of those wooden matches, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. doesn't need a lighter, you know? Uh, yeah. What was that last line where he's all. Cause lighters are not batteries, right? The last line before everything goes goes black, you know. Oh, I forgot. I don't know. I forgot what he says. Something like "Good morning, America" or something. But uh, anyway, that, it was that the last that last ten minutes was pretty cool because mm-hmm. at that point you're going, okay, what's left? You know, what's left? And they did the whole thing with the switcheroo with the with the remote, you know. And I just thought this is, you know, this was a nice little surprise at the end. Right. Uh, I, this is this is this is definitely a Patrick movie. You know, you think so? Absolutely. This is probably one of his favorite movies. He's going to embrace the silliness. Yeah. I mean, he loves um, uh, what Pierce Brosnan is his favorite James Bond. Hmm. I think a lot of this would have to do. I think uh, a lot of this depends on how much you like Kurt Russell, because I think he really carries the movie. (laughs) Right. He is the movie. Yeah. I think just oh. they just threw they threw caution to the wind where he had to shoot hoops to save his life. That's when I, I love that's that. When, I love that's that. the moment. I love that. I I love that. I'm in the middle of a movie. I'm watching a basketball game in like unfold yeah. in like real time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is, uh, by the way, uh, John Carpenter did lower her voice by an octave and a half in post production. Yeah. He was able to do that there without like without changing the uh, without mm-hmm. without having a, someone like you said, John. It, it didn't sound like someone else's voice. Yeah, it sounded like a woman's voice that was. Pitched no, that that's great because what you're the when she first starts talking, you're looking to see, you know, that would have killed it if it was somebody just dubbing her. That would have killed it. But the fact that you're looking, you're going, no, that's somehow that's her. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Yeah, always good to see Pam Greer, but I was not expecting that. <laughs> uh, hold on, I'm trying to find. Oh, I guess the reason. Oh no. No, I'm sorry. That is not. That's just a. The reason why what? What do you? What? What is what? No, no, hmm? no, 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 no. I wish there was some way they could have worked Adrian Barbeau in, but I guess. Uh, <laughs> is. Uh, I wonder it's... if he was still married to her. I know they were married when they were doing Escape from New York. I wonder if they were still married when he did Escape from uh, L.A. It's an excellent question. Mario, what did you? How do you feel about this? How well, let's ask John what he thinks about it. John, what did you think about it? Oh, you, yeah, it, it's just it's a little 
it just for me it just crosses the line. I like silly, but this just for me this kind of crossed the line. Um, too silly. It, it's too silly. I mean, like I said, Escape from New York was pretty. You know, that was pretty hard to swallow. But uh, compared to Escape from L.A., you know, Escape from New York looked little looked a little more grounded in reality. Sure. Um, just by just by comparison. I think uh, it's the, I think the rotten CGI is what kills it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if the CGI had been a little better, it just kind of takes you out. It really just makes you feel like you're watching a comic book. Right. It's right, just right. like it's like it's, it's like cut and cut and paste, you know. They, what they uh, were it's trying, like Mad Magazine, basically. It's like you're watching Mad Magazine, but it doesn't have all the wit of a Mad Magazine. You know? What if they what were if just... CGI that felt unnecessary, too. What, so it was like, you didn't have to do CGI on some of these bits. You could have done practical, and it probably wouldn't have been that much more expensive. What if they had just... Um, what if they had just done it like Sin City style? Like, they just pretended like that's they meant to do it that way all along. Yeah, because the thing with Sin City is that... Um, that actually looks like a living comic book. You know, right. I know some people didn't like that style and that was hot for about a year or two. They did 300 was the similar style, right? They make right. it. It's like a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent CGI. Uh, what was it? So sin city and what the, the 300 and what was the other, then the spirit, which is a real, a real stinkeroo. But that was, I think those were all Frank Miller was involved in all of those. And, um, I don't know if you saw that the spirit with the uh, no, I never Samuel saw it. L. Jack- Samuel L. Jackson played the bad guy. That looks just like Sin City. It, it's designed to actually look like a comic book. It's like you go all the way. It's kind of like you go all the way. This kind of looked like Mad Magazine, basically. It was just, yeah. um, you know, the the old guys at um, there's a story that when they were doing the uh, Looney Tunes at Warner Brothers back in the '40s. Uh, Bob Clampett said they had a session where all the animators and uh, gag writers would get in the room and see if they could uh, really just, poli- you know, just polish it, just put like just solid gags and and uh, ridiculous situations and really pump up the ridiculousness. And he said, we called it an oh, no session because nobody was allowed to go. Oh, no, that's that's too much. You know, like now Daffy, you know, blows his head off. Oh, no, that's that's too much. So nobody was allowed to go. Oh, no. No matter how wild it was, he wanted everyone to just go as wild as possible. Right. So I'm watching this thing going, they must have had a session like that. Okay, and then they get on the hang gliders, and now they're going to surf a tsunami, and now they're going to get in the submarine, and no, nobody's allowed to go, oh, no, that's too much. You know? Right. <laughs> have you seen the, um, <laughs> there's a Key and Peel skit where they're talking about the, um, what was it, the Gremlins 2? Ah, right, right. Yeah, they did a whole skit where they're like, where they're in the, where they're in like the boardroom coming up with ideas and stuff, and they're just coming up with the weirdest stuff, uh-huh. and they're just approving everything. And as absurd as it sounds, it's all in the movie. It's just that, you know like, they, that they, what happened they, here. There is a story behind Gremlins too. They they begged uh, Joe Dante to do a sequel, and he didn't particularly want to do a sequel. But the first Gremlins made so much money, they just wouldn't leave him alone. They also realized that nobody else could quite pull it off. It was an odd movie even though it made a lot of money, it wasn't obvious how you would proceed, mm-hmm. but it was such a pain in the ass with all the puppets and stuff. Cause that was actually a lot of practical effects. That yeah. was like no CGI. And, um, he just said no and no. And finally he said, okay, if I'm going to do it, you got to let me do it my way. I, it's gotta be, I, I have like final approval on the, on the shooting script. You can't tell me I got to take stuff out. If I'm really going to do this, you got to let me just do what I want. And that's why gremlins two is so crazy. And uh, and Joe Dante is a huge fan 
of the old Warner Brothers cartoons. So he said, okay, we're just going to go as far out there as we can. And that's why the second one is so, so crazy, you know? Uh, do you love, I like the second one because they have Christopher Lee and Tony oh, Randall. I love the second one. Yeah. And Tony Randall. It's a little closer to what he wanted. The first one, he thought they would be more, he didn't think there'd be so much of the cuddly gremlins. Oh. But he said once Spiel, you know Spielberg was producing, and once those guys saw how cute they were when they were like fur bound, they wanted more of Gizmo. And so he said what he wanted was mostly like what happens when they turn into these lizard heads with the scales and the fangs and the crazy eyes. And he said so the second one's a little closer to what he wanted. The first one kind of once they saw how cute Gizmo was, he kind of took over the movie, you know? <laughs> right. And there's nothing wrong so, with that. I don't know. Uh, no. Joe Dante, I'll tell you, that there is a guy that nobody ever talks about. But when you think about, you know, how many wonderful movies he did, and he's just kind of like under the radar. All right. Where would you rank? Uh, what do you guys want to rank this one? I, by the way, just real quick. I mean, you, you can already tell I like this movie. I know it's not good. It's a guilty pleasure for me. But it's fun. And like again, it's Kurt Russell, so I'll watch it. It's I'll watch it. My my brother, my late brother, loved this movie and would watch it over and over. And uh, so it's it's good memories of wa me walking into and going, "You're watching this again." Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, he, he, it's it's just the Kurt Russell show. You know, it's it's, it's like it a, it's like a pilot for a really bad Kurt Russell TV show is basically what mm -hmm. it is. Is basically, you know, he he saves it from being, you know, worse than it is. You know, right, right. Uh, I I give it an extra point because he is so good as that character, right? That he he elevates it. So you know, right. Uh, what uh, what do you want to rank it, John? I give it a five, but if it wasn't for Kurt Russell, I'd give it a four. He really he brings it. You know, he's great as that character. So I give it a five. Okay, it's, it's pretty. This is something I will probably never sit through again. <laughs> you, you're going to sit through it and you're going to love it. And uh, <laughs> I had never seen this before. I had really, I had never seen so this particular movie. Yeah, before. great. That's a John's never seen. Jake, what do you say? I'm going to give it one point for every two pointer Kurt Russell <laughs> shot in made. So I'll give it a five. <laughs> I thought you were going to give it two points. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's like a six for me, you know, it's a, it's a five, it, you know, as a movie, it's a four, but as a John Carpenter movie, it's like a six. <laughs> I've seen worse movies than this too. You know, I've seen absolutely. See, that's the thing. There are worse movies. I've seen and far worse movies. John Carp, John Carpenter's always fun. And, uh, Kurt Russell's always fun. So what right. the hell? Right. What the hell? It was fun. Uh, we're actually going to, I'm actually going to cut it short today, boys. Um, uh, we are missing Justine and, uh, and, uh, what's her name? Patrick. We are missing Patrick and Justine. So next week we'll be back with a, with a longer episode, hopefully. But, uh, I want to give you guys the movie for next week. Uh, John, you did finish Andor. what do you give the whole show without spoilers? What do you give the whole show? As oh, it was solid. So good. So good. Um, yeah, I give it like a, I give it like a nine, nine out of 10. Oh, that great. was a solid show. Um, yeah, if anyone's, some people are sort of staying away. Uh, it's worth sticking with to the end. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating character, and this really is. Uh, this kind of shows you <laughs> the backstory. It's uh, great acting, great writing, and uh, 
the Star Wars universe, I mean, they've really fully realized this. I was telling Mario yesterday, um, this really looks like a a lived in world. This does not look like it's CGI. This doesn't look like it's it's a shot on a back lot somewhere. This looks like it's a fully realized lived in universe. And um, it's like it's like Star Wars for adults. This is not this one is not for kids. This is really a more grown up take on the whole star wars story yeah and what do you give what do you give the uh what do you give it as a whole like would you would you say it's nearing 10 oh, i give it a nine I oh, give nice. It a nine out okay of 10. nice okay yeah um, i don't know why it doesn't get a 10 but it's a, it's a nine for sure i think you Absolutely still need to catching. i think you, it's one of those things you know there's another season coming so you're probably waiting to i think people should just give it another shot i know some people that didn't dig it they thought it was kind of pokey kind of talky and i think people should just stick with it stick with it right to the end because there's there's some so st- there's some stuff in this that's as good as anything there are episodes, there's moments in this that is as good as anything you've seen in a Star Wars movie. So All right. stay with it. We will be back next week with our review of Swingers, the classic hey. the, the, the film that launched the careers yeah. of uh, Vince Vaughn and and uh, John Favreau. So uh, wow. So we'll be back with a, with a, what a snapshot in time that movie is, you know. Uh, really? But we will be back next week. So for John and for Jake, we will say. This transmission ends now. We're going to fight the power, and we'll see you guys next week.